All right. Welcome, everybody. Welcome back to Rooted. It's good to see your faces. Um, Every single time I come to this Bible study um, in the fall, I'm so excited. It feels like Christmas to me. And um, I always wonder as I'm in the preparation process, and I'm in, I've been, we've been in the preparation process since May of this year. So I've been wondering and praying about who God was going to bring to this study. And it always amazes me every single time that I come to the study in the fall to see who's here and to see the answers to my prayer. And I just think it's a beautiful thing to see your faces here today. And um, this is the second class I've taught for today. The morning class was, um, went really well, and we had about 20 new people here in the morning class. So that was um, in addition to some old people. <laughs> and by old, I don't mean age. <laughs> So this is our second class for the day, and um, each one of you are here, I want you to know, by God's sovereign design. Now, you may think you are here because a friend kind of talked you into it or coerced you into it. Um, You may think that you're here because you want to hang out with some grown-ups if you have the littles. Um, You may think that you are here just to get some girl time, and those are all good reasons to be here. But actually, you are here because of the God. The God of the universe has called you. He's seeking you. He's pursuing you. And he wants you to be here to study his word. So, welcome to the Bible study. Welcome back to the fall semester of Rooted Women's Bible Study. Just a couple of things before we get started. Um, I just wanted to make an announcement. Every year we try to do an outreach event, um, and we typically support the North Care Women's Clinic because they love on the women in our community who are in crisis so very well. And they are having a fundraiser walk on Saturday, September 24th, and I would love it if you would join me. I have a rooted women's Bible study team there. I'm going to be walking. I don't like to walk by myself. Hint, hint. It's a two-mile walk. We can do this, girls. And um, it takes about 30 minutes to do it. And it's, it's just not hard. It's in Franconia at the Franconia Park at uh, 9 in the morning is breakfast. They even give you breakfast. I mean, come on. Breakfast and then walk. So I will be sending out, I send out a weekly email. There's going to be a link um, for you if you would like to join us for that walk. Um, You can sign up through that link or you can donate through that link. So that's my one announcement. Um, Just want to tell you a little bit about Rooted Women's Bible Study. Most of you know me. My name is Cherie Leatherman. And we began um, studying the Bible together as a group September 10th, 2012. So we just celebrated our 10th birthday, and that was exciting and fun over the weekend. Um, Rooted Women's Bible Study is all about studying God's Word. That is our passion. That is our heartbeat. That is what we want to do. We love to do that together in community. We do this um, line by line through the scriptures Um, We don't do book studies here. Not that there's anything wrong with doing book studies, but here we are focused on studying God's word and trying to understand what God is communicating to us through his word. And I want to just explain a little bit about um, the learning environment that we try to create here. Um, You've already gotten a taste of it. We have small group time. Every week we meet together on Monday night, and um, we have our small group time first. And in that group, we're going to discuss what you do work on in your homework. 
So you're given homework. You're gonna have a study guide and you're gonna have homework to do, guys. Now, I've had just maybe one or two times people come to Bible study and they look at their study guide and they say to me, you mean there's homework? And I never see them again. <laughs> it's terrible, I'm so sad, I want to see them again. So I want to encourage you to not be intimidated by the study guide or by the homework. Um, one of my desires, one of my longings for you is that you won't just be reading and studying the Bible. This word is going to get into you. I want it in you. I want it to become a part of your DNA, a part of who you are. And for that to happen, there's some things that have to go on. There's some meditation that has to happen. You have to be in it. And so the study guide is designed to teach you how to study the Bible as you are studying the Bible. And it's designed and the questions are made in such a way that you're going to be wrestling with them. So I'm not really trying to spoon feed you. Some of the questions are not as hard as others, but some of them are kind of hard. And you're going to get a little bit maybe irritated at me. But that's okay. Because if you're frustrated by a question and you start thinking about that question and you're like, what in the world? I have no idea what this is. And then, but you keep thinking about it and you're thinking about what the Bible said and trying to figure out what the answer is. And then you get, get up and move away from your chair or wherever you are studying the Bible and you go to the grocery store, you go out to feed the animals or, or you're, you go and take care of your kids or whatever it is that you do during the day. But you've got this question burning in your heart and you're trying to figure it out and you're a little bit irritated. Guess what? I have done what I have intended to do. You're thinking about the word away from the couch. You're not just reading the Bible. Okay, check, check that off my list. Close it and go and think about something else. You're thinking about the word. And as you wrestle with the word, the word is getting in you. That's the process of meditation. And that's what this, this Bible study is designed to do. So I want to encourage you. Because I know that we're all very, very busy women. I want to encourage you to not let the homework overwhelm you, discourage you. But enjoy the hard. Enjoy the struggle. Delight in his word. He's going to do amazing things in your heart as you meditate, as you chew, as you wrestle, as you pray through the word of God. And so when you do that all week long, when you come on Monday night to your small groups, come ready to talk. Come ready to, to ask questions. Make it easy on your small group leaders so they want to do it again next year. Make it easy on them. Talk so they don't have to pull the information out from you. And ask the questions. Like, I had no idea what she was trying to get at. What do you think she's trying to get at? Ask those questions. Bring those questions. Discuss and talk. And then we'll gather together like we are doing right now. Um, for a time of teaching in the same text that we were looking at all week long. So let me just set some expectations for tonight. Tonight is always a little bit different because we're not actually studying Deuteronomy yet. You're going to start doing that tomorrow. And then next week when we come back, we're going to be in the book. We're going to be in the Bible. But tonight, the expectation that um, you can have for what we're going to do tonight is we are going to talk about what is the Bible. We're going to introduce the Bible, study how to study the Bible to you. 
and we're going to introduce to you the book of Deuteronomy, and that's my main goal for tonight. And I hope I can get you a little bit excited, a little bit excited to be studying Deuteronomy. So let's begin our time with a word of prayer. Gracious Father in heaven, I thank you for each person in this room tonight. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together to study your word. And Lord, I pray that you would ignite in our hearts a passion and a desire to know you through the study of your word. I pray that as we um, approach this book, that we would approach it with a spirit of humility and that you would teach us, communicate to us, reveal to us yourself. I pray that we would grow in the knowledge of you. I pray that our understanding of you would grow, that our love for you would grow, and that we would be changed by what happens here. We thank you for your goodness to us, and I pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, ladies, we are about to embark on the most important and exciting adventure that we could possibly do this side of heaven. And that adventure is studying this book. This book, the Bible, that you guys hold in your laps or in your hands right now, is a book like no other book. There is not a book like this. We don't sit around and gather on a Monday night to study Socrates. I mean, seriously, could you imagine? We just don't do that. But it's different with this book. This book is a living book. It's active, it's alive, and it's as applicable today as it was thousands and thousands of years ago, which is so amazing. This book that you hold in your hands is different from any other book because it is a book that has been written by God himself. These are the very words of God. Let that sink in. That is amazing that God would write or, or give us this communication, communicate to us through his word. These are the words given to you from your creator, your redeemer, your savior, your king. And that means that every single word that is in this book, from Genesis 1 and all the way to the end of Revelation, every single word in the Bible has exponential value. There, are no, there is no greater value that they could possibly have because of who gave this book to us, because of who spoke these words to us, because of who God is himself. His greatness, his, his, the value that we have in him makes his words exponentially valuable. Listen to the words of the psalmist. He says in Psalm 119, 161 and 1 to 162, Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. Does your heart stand in awe of God's word? The psalmist goes on to say, I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. The words of God are the greatest treasure that we could ever hope to have. 
and it's readily accessible to us here in this country. It's available to us. It is the very word of God, and there is no greater pursuit, no greater way to spend your time than in the word of God. I mean, we all will sacrifice a lot of our time and our energy to pursue education for our careers, but this trumps them all. This has eternal value because these are the very words of God. Scripture itself is testifying to us over and over again that this book is like no other book, that these are God's words. These are truly God's words. Listen to how I'm going to give you some some verses from the Bible that show us how scripture is testifying that this is God's word. And in fact, I, I have it written in your study guide, but Psalm 119, Psalm 119 is what I would call a love song to the Bible. I mean, that, that whole chapter, it's very long. It's got 22 sections. And everything in that psalm is speaking about the word of God, testifying to the word of God, testifying to, to the psalmist's love for his laws and love for his word. And so we took that and we wove the Psalm 119 through your study guides. And at the beginning of each week of your study guide, we have a section of Psalm 119. Let that be a prompt for your prayer life throughout this study. It is a beautiful testimony to what scripture is and to how we should view it. So Psalm 119 is testifying to God's word being the word of God. Most of us are familiar with 2 Peter 1.20, which says, Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What a miracle. What a miracle that God would use common, ordinary men to bring forth his perfect, extraordinary word. Another familiar verse to many of us is 2 Timothy 3.16, and that says, All scripture is breathed out by God. It's just breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man or woman may be complete, equipped for every good work. So those are two very familiar proof texts that Scripture is the Word of God. But really, all of Scripture is testifying to that. Listen to this verse from Deuteronomy 1, chapter 1, verse 3. And Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment to them. So Moses' words, he spoke according to what the Lord spoke to him. The wisdom literature says the same thing. Ecclesiastes tells us this. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging in many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed on the, are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd, capital S. So even within the wisdom literature, we learn that the shepherd of our souls gave the wisdom literature to the preacher. God 
joining his word with man and bringing it to us through man. All of the prophets constantly are saying the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord. And let's not forget about Jesus. Jesus himself testified that the Old Testament scriptures were God's word. They were God's word. And he also prepared the way for the New Testament scriptures and preparing us to understand that they too would be the word of God because he said through his apostles, he was going to lay the foundation. Through his apostles, the spirit was going to lead them into all truth and that many would come to know him through what the apostles would testify. So all of scripture is the word of God. The Bible is without a doubt God's word. And because of who, the who of the Bible, it is not only excessively valuable to us, but it has authority over us. Because God has authority over us. And so his word now isn't just a word that we can read and we can study and we can just walk away from it and forget it. It has a hold on us. It has authority over us as the people of God. And because the Bible comes from God, we can trust it completely. It is the absolute, infallible, and eternal truth of God. There is really very little in this world that we can trust. We can't trust the media. We can't trust politicians. We can't trust books that we read. We can't trust YouTube videos and blog posts. There's very little we can trust. There's very little that we can say that this is infallible truth. There is actually nothing that we can say that about except for this word. This is the only thing that we can know for certain, stake our lives on, that this is absolute truth. Psalm 119, 160 says, The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. And when you feel that tension of all of the voices that are calling out for our attention in the world today, and you're like, what is true? What is truth even? I'm going to point you in one direction. This is the only thing we can stake our lives on. This is truth because of who spoke these words. So what is it that God is communicating through his word? Well, we don't really have time to go into all of the things. We're going to do that as we study the scriptures. We're going to learn many, many, many things that God is communicating. Here's a little bit of a summary of that. God is telling us about the history of the world, the history of creation, history of humanity, history of sin, how did the world get like this? How is it like this? We learn the story of God's plan of redemption. We learn of the hope of a future that the people of God will have with him forever, for all of eternity. We learn of the judgment that is going to come. Within scripture, we are showing, shown the difference between good and evil, wisdom and foolishness. We are warned about sin and its deception. The scriptures are discipling us in holiness. And as we said already, they are profitable for teaching and for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness that we may be complete or mature, equipped for every good work. 
God is teaching us all of these things through his precious word. And we will see all of this when we study it. However, I want us to walk out of here tonight understanding that the primary thing that God is communicating to us is himself. He is revealing himself in these pages of scripture. On every page, in every story, in every law, God is revealing himself to you and to me so that we might know him. We cannot know him unless he reveals himself to us. And so the greatest treasure about studying God's word is that we can know God, our creator, intimately, personally, relationally, not just know about him, but know him, really know him, not fully, because we will never know God fully, but we can know him truly as he has revealed himself. Jeremiah, I was meditating in Jeremiah a little bit this last week as I was preparing for today. And um, the prophet Jeremiah had a horrible job. Like, let's just be honest, like all of the prophets had the worst job on the planet. God calls them, each of them have this amazing experience with God, I mean, that part's great. So they, they come into the presence of God. God says, I am going to give you my word, and you're going to take my word to your people. And they're like, great, hear my Lord, send me. And he sends them, and they take the word of the Lord to the people of Israel, and completely rejected. They don't care. They don't want to hear the word of the Lord. They reject the prophet. They reject the word of the Lord over and over and they continue to pursue other gods they pursue wealth they pursue worldly wisdom they're pursuing everything power strength all the things but the word of the lord totally deaf to it and so it's within this context in jeremiah chapter 9 that the lord says um, through the prophet jeremiah he says verse 23 says thus says the lord let not the wise man boast in his wisdom let not the mighty man boast in his might let not the rich man boast in his riches. And that's what Israel was doing. They were pursuing all of these things. They were pursuing riches. They were pursuing power. They were pursuing worldly wisdom and boasting in it and ignoring God's word. But this is what the Lord has to say about that. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love justice and righteousness in the earth for in these things I delight declares the Lord God reveals himself to us just in that sentence we learn that he delights in love in justice in righteousness he reveals this to us, and he reveals to us that it's in knowing him, that knowing him is the ultimate thing that we can pursue, and it's the ultimate treasure that we can have, is the knowledge and understanding of the God who made us, the God who is revealed to us throughout Scripture. Jesus said the same thing in, in John chapter 17 when he says, this is eternal life that you may know the one true God and the one that he sent, the Lord Jesus. 
There's life in knowing God intimately, personally, relationally. And that's why we're here. We're here to study the Bible so that we can ultimately know God personally and deeply. And that knowledge of God is going to stir within our hearts an affection for him, a love for him that will be life-changing. So we're studying the Bible. We're hotly pursuing the knowledge of God. Why? So that we can wow everybody with our supreme knowledge so that we could win the next biblical Jeopardy match that comes on television, so that we can shut down every conversation with our massive amount of understanding? No. No. We're knowing for two reasons. One, because first of all, God has pursued us. We belong to him. We're his children. If you have put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a part of the family of God. You have been redeemed. You have been saved. You've been born again. You've been adopted. You've been made alive. And when you were made alive, you were made alive to God, to the one who has saved you. And so those who belong to him hotly pursue him because he first pursued them. We pursue the knowledge of God because he pursued us and awakened within us a desire to know him. But we're also pursuing the knowledge of God for the sake of love. It is not just for our mind's sake. It's not just to be smart. It's not just to to let everybody know how amazing we are. We are here because of love. God's love first that has been poured out on us through his son, the Lord Jesus, God's love that has been poured out in these pages of scripture. And our response to that is love. But the heart cannot love what the mind does not know. Jen Wilkins said that. We cannot love if we do not know him. We can think an emotion, a feeling of love for something that we think is God. But if it's not the God that is described in Scripture, then we are loving a God of our own making. And that's what we call an idol. So we're pursuing the knowledge of God because of love. Deuteronomy teaches us over and over again to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. This is the greatest commandment. And the beginning of loving God is pursuing the knowledge of him. And as we see him, as we study Deuteronomy and we see him in these pages, as he reveals himself to us through the power of the Holy Spirit, we will learn to know him and love him. And as our love for him grows, our desire to know him more will grow. And as our desire to know him more grows, our love for him grows and our desire to obey him grows. And as our desire to love and obey him grows, our desire, our love for him will grow. It just keeps going on forever and ever. And as we grow in our obedience to him, something miraculous begins to happen in your life you begin to change. You become like the God that you love. 
you become like him, for we see him as he is. To love God is to love his word. Because this is where we go to commune with him. This is where we go to meet with him, to see him. So with our hearts, we come to this study ready and willing and excited to know God more deeply, to love him more faithfully. But we don't just come with our hearts. We are coming with our minds. We want to engage our minds because that's where transformation begins. We are transformed by the renewing of our minds. The study will engage our minds as we pursue the study with our hearts. So how? How do we do this? How do we study the Bible? And I just want to say for the record, I did not create this. I did not create the the methodology of Bible study. Um, I learned it from Jen Wilkin when she she teaches how to study the Bible. And this is where I learned all of this. And I've patterned the Bible study after hers. So, but we are going to talk for a few, in the next few minutes about how we study the Bible. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, if there is the possibility that we are called to rightly divide the word of truth, that means that we can wrongly divide the word of truth if we are not careful. We have to be careful. We need to approach this study with great care because many have and continue to do so brought great damage to individual people, to churches, because they have wrongly divided the word of truth. Satan himself knows the word of God probably better than any one of us in this room. And he wrongly uses it all the time. He uses it to bring about death and deception when the word of truth is for life. And so we want to approach the word of God very carefully, making sure that we are not using it wrongly, using it inappropriately, hurting and harming others by misusing and misrepresenting God's word. And let's talk through, I'm just going to talk through for a few minutes, how we can um, put boundaries in place or how we can study the Bible so that we don't wrongly divide the word of truth. The first thing I want to bring to your attention is we need to study prayerfully. We study with prayer. Bible study is spiritual work. And we are utterly dependent on the Spirit of God who wrote the Word of God to help us to rightly divide it. He needs to help us have understanding. And so I want us to pray before we start studying. When you sit down to do your homework, ask the Lord. Here's a great prayer. Psalm 119.18 says, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your Word. We want to pray at the beginning. We want to pray while we're studying. We want to pray when we're frustrated by the questions. We want to pray when we finish studying. We want to be praying all the time as we study God's word. Psalm 119.34 examples it again. He says, give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Psalm 119.169, let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding 
according to your word. We are dependent on the Lord God to help us to understand. And let me tell you something. That's a prayer that God delights to answer. He will delight to answer your prayer, to give you understanding when you are seeking to know him. The second point I want to make is we need to come and study humbly. We don't know the answers. We're teachable. Let us be teachable. Act as if you're Mary. Mary in the New Testament who sat at the feet of Jesus just hearing from him, learning from him. That's the posture of our heart, that our heart needs to be as we sit at Jesus' feet with this book. Teachable. Teach me, O Lord. The psalmist says, um, in, again, Psalm 119, verse 8. These are such great prayers. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. There's a humility and a teachability that we need to have in our hearts as we approach the study of God's word. So with prayer, humility, we can set the stage for being able to rightly divide the word of truth. Um, this is where we're going to talk about studying and um, for comprehension. So this is all in your study guides in your foreword. So if you want to read more about this um, during the week, you can do so. Um, but when we study God's word, one of the first steps that we take is we want to understand what does the text say. We're asking that question in our hearts. So we're reading a passage of scripture, and we want to read that for comprehension, for understanding. This is going to, if you loved English in high school, you're going to love this. It's going to be great. Reading comprehension class. Remember that? Wasn't that fun? I loved it. Surprise, surprise. What does the text say? Just what does it say? We learn to understand that. And your, your study guides are going to help you do that. The questions are designed to help you make observations in the text. Who is in the text? What is the text talking about? Where are they? What are they doing? Just those basic questions. Another thing that we do to help us to have reading comprehension, to understand what the text is saying, is we will look up words in the dictionary and write the definition so that we can better understand what the words mean. Sometimes we want you to rewrite it in your own words so that you know that you understand what it's saying. The simple question that we ask of the text is what is it saying? That's the first question. The second question that is being asked is what does the text mean? It's interpretation. Now this is key. This is really, really important for us to understand because this is where sometimes I think we can get, go off a little bit. We can wrongly divide the word of truth in this because what happens is this book, the Bible, was written thousands and thousands of years ago by a specific person. God wrote, God gave the words to that person. God inspired a real person who lived in real time to write these words to a real people that lived in a real culture. And so the, the original audience... These words had insignificance to them based upon their culture. And here we are, thousands of years later, coming to the Bible, and we can make the mistake of bringing our time and our culture and putting that on Scripture and making it say something it does not say at all. A good study, Bible study girl is going to ask herself, what did that original audience understand this to mean? 
What was God communicating to them in their context? And once we know that, once we know the communication that was being made to them in their context, we can bring that forward to us. We are called to pull out of the scriptures the meaning that is there, to not put on the scriptures meaning that we want to be there. We don't give the text a meaning. The text has a meaning, and it's our job to discover that meaning. We don't shape scripture and its meaning by our worldview, our context, our opinions, our beliefs. And this is a temptation for all of us. It's very easy to do this. Rather, when we pull out of scripture what is there, then our worldview, our context, our opinions, our beliefs are now shaped and submitted to God's word, to God's worldview, to God's mind and ideas. And that's a huge, huge difference. So interpretation, what does the text mean? The third thing that we do as we study scripture is then finally once we know what the text says once we know what the text means we can apply it to our lives we can bring it into our context once we know what it means but we're going to do that with a god-centered perspective first we want to ask the question what does this text tell me or teach me or reveal to me about god who is he in this? What, does, what is he revealing and showing me about himself? And then in light of this vision of God, how am I to be changed? What, ha- what needs to happen in my life? In light of who God is, how should this change me? Is there a command that I need to obey? Do I need to repent? You see, when we see ourselves in light of who God is, it should humble us. It should remind us of how we fall short of the glory of God. And it should lead us to a place of repentance, and it should remind us of the beauty of the gospel, where there is forgiveness of sins, and a washing, and made new, and it should do this over and over and over again. And that brings about change. And that's one of the fruits of good Bible study. There are two fruits of good Bible study, of rightly dividing the word of truth. One, you are conformed to the image of Christ. We become what we behold. We do this all the time in all of life. Whatever it is we're listening to, we start to think just like that. Whatever it is we're reading, we start to to talk that out to everybody. I love to watch British television. I still don't have a British accent. I don't understand why it's not working. It really should be working. I'm trying to become what I behold. But in everything else, we become what we behold. And so to behold Jesus in the word of God is to be conformed in his image. So we are being conformed to the image of Christ, and we are also storing up treasure. We're storing up treasure in our hearts. We're storing up treasure, the word of God, in us. It's becoming a part of us. And it's a, it, it's good. It's a treasure that may need to be tapped into in the darkest of affliction. 
If you've ever spent any seasons in affliction and in darkness and in discouragement, sometimes it's very hard to pick up the word of God. It's really hard to get there. It's hard to feel it. It's hard to absorb these words. But if you've been studying and if you've been putting God's word into your heart, you're storing up treasure for those seasons. For God will bring that to your remembrance and he will comfort you with the word stored up in your heart, with the word coming from others. Listen to these words from the psalmist again. Psalm 119, 114, you are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. His word brings us hope in our affliction. Psalm 119, 165, great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. There is peace to be had when the word of God is in us. And then Psalm 119, 22, my personal favorite. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. If God's word had not been our delight, would it take, life can take us out. It can take us out. So good Bible study conforms us to the image of Christ. It stores up treasure that will sustain us and give us hope as we spend time in the wilderness. So that is why we're here. And that is why we're studying Deuteronomy. Because Deuteronomy has all of this in it for us today. We are studying Deuteronomy to behold the glory of God. Now, I just, we're, we're nearing the end here. There are those of us, there are those who would have us unhitch from the Old Testament. They contend that we live in the times of Jesus and of the kingdom, and the Old Testament is just not for today. We can just do away with it. Jesus came to do away with the law because Jesus came. The Old Testament is now obsolete, and we are to focus only on Jesus. That is a popular belief today. In the church today, unhitch from the Old Testament. We don't need it anymore. Let's just focus on Jesus and the red letters. But there's a problem, a deep and serious problem with this thinking. If we unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament, we will unhitch ourselves from Jesus. I want to say that again. If we unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament, we will unhitch ourselves from Jesus because he hitched himself to the Old Testament. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. And the, that phrase, the law or the prophet, refers to the whole Old Testament. I have not come to abolish them, he, he says, but I've come to fulfill them. So Jesus does not do away with the Old Testament. It is not done away with. Rather, he came to fulfill them, and he fulfills them in two ways. One, the Old Testaments and Deuteronomy prophesied to the coming of the Messiah. So he fulfills them when he comes because he is the fulfillment of the prophecies. The Old Testament shadows the work that he's going to do in redemption. So he fulfills that in that capacity. And he also, and he also fulfills it in his obedience to the Old Testament scriptures. So we are studying Deuteronomy so that we may know Jesus. So let's do our final um, note-taking for today and answer the questions, the context questions about Deuteronomy. 
They're on page four of your workbooks. Um, we are going to set the context for Deuteronomy. Before we get to the questions, I wanted to explain where Deuteronomy falls in the Bible. It's, it's, it's in the Old Testament, as we've already said. It's in the first five books, which we call the Pentateuch. It's the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy make up the Pentateuch. And it's that final book in the Pentateuch. It's a sermon, it's a series of sermons that was preached by Moses in the last month of his life. These are his last words to his people. Deuteronomy is a theological foundation for all of Scripture. It is quoted throughout the whole rest of the Bible. What you're going to learn in Deuteronomy, as you continue to learn the Bible, you're going to start to see Deuteronomy woven throughout the prophets, in the New Testament. It's everywhere. It's scattered everywhere. The theological truths that are taught in Deuteronomy are throughout the whole of Scripture. It is a theological foundation. Some have even compared it to Romans. Romans is the New Testament theological foundation. There's so much rich theology in that book. But Deuteronomy is just as rich as Romans. And its theology is um, found in all of the rest of the scripture. When you understand Deuteronomy, other scriptures are going to come to life for you. The word Deuteronomy is a Latin word, which means second law. And that was given kind of in the Middle Ages. And we know that God did not give two laws. He only gave one law, but he did give one law more than one time. So that's why it was called Deuteronomy. But if you were to pick up a Jewish um, scriptures, they don't call it the Bible, but if you were to pick up the Jewish Old Testament scriptures, they don't have a book of Deuteronomy. They have a book that in the Hebrew, I can't say the Hebrew words, but in English, the title of this book is These Are the Words. Simply put, in Hebrew, these are the words. So, who is the author of Deuteronomy? I already stated that the primary author is God himself. But the secondary author is Moses. God spoke through Moses. So, who is Moses? Moses is a huge figure in Israel's history. He was their deliverer. He was their prophet. God's word came to them through him. He was their intercessor, pleading with God on their behalf. He was their Lord, King. He was the one guiding them through the wilderness journeys, judging and ruling over them, maintaining order, leading them in battles. And most of the people of Israel did not know a world without Moses. They did not know life without Moses. It was written in 1405, around 1405 BC. It was about 40 years after the exodus out of Egypt. The people had finally reached the end of their wilderness wanderings and they were about to head into the land of promise. It was written to the generation of Israelites that were about to cross into the promised land. That original audience It was the second generation after the Exodus. Many of them, some of them may have been small children when the Exodus happened. Many of them would have been born while they were in the wilderness. And it was to that generation that this book was written. Now I want you to imagine with me a little bit about what this would have been like for them, 
for this generation of people. Moses is now 120 years old. His life is coming to an end. They had to have known it. They could see. He was getting old. He'd been around for a long time. They were poised at the border of the Jordan River, ready to cross over into the land that God had promised long ago. But they were going to be crossing over without their beloved leader. Moses was not to go with them. And most of those people did not know a world without Moses. What do you think would be in their hearts at this point in time? Keep that in your minds as we approach Deuteronomy. What was going on in their hearts and in their lives? Life is changing for them. There's going to be um, leadership transitions. The wilderness was hard, but what's coming was scary. It was scarier. There were giants. There were fortified cities in there, and they knew they were going to have battles and fights. It wasn't going to be easy. Everything in their life was suddenly changing, and it was changing quickly. And we know, because we're not really unlike them, that change like that causes a lot of fear. It causes a lot of anxiety, uncertainty. This is the context in which... Moses was speaking to his people. So in light of this, what was the most important thing Moses wanted to communicate to help his people through this season of fear, anxiety, uncertainty, instability? What he wanted to communicate and what he did communicate was the word of God, the law, the covenant that God made with them at Sinai. Ajith Fernando, in his Um, in the commentary that he wrote on the book of Deuteronomy, says what the people needed most was not eloquence or attractive speeches. They needed a word from God. And ladies, that's true today. So many times when we're in, um, we come across somebody who's struggling in in a dark place, we want to set aside the word of God so that we can offer our words But what we need most is God's word. Because it's God's word that has the power, not our words. It's God's word that brings healing, not our words. What we need most, what they needed most, what we need most is a word from God. And he has given that to us in this book. And that's why Deuteronomy is so important for us to study because we are like they are, that original audience. We live in a time of change and transition. We live in a time of instability and insecurity. And what we need most is a word from God. We are the secondary audience that God had in mind when Deuteronomy was written. So what style was it written in? It's a sermon. There's sermons. It's a series of sermons, which include both history and law. And what are the major themes of Deuteronomy? The major theme of Deuteronomy is really the covenant that God made with his people at Sinai. Moses' final words to them are words calling them to remember calling them to remember and allowing that remembrance to ready them for their life in this new land. Remember and renewing the covenant is the thread that holds this book together. The importance of the covenant, the law, the word of God to the people is a theme that is repeated. They are called to hold fast 
to cling to God's word and to not forget it as they head into the land of promise. They are called to love God, to trust him, and to obey him. So, in conclusion, Deuteronomy is the perfect book for us to study today. It is as applicable to us as it was to them, but even more so because Deuteronomy points us ever and always to Jesus, the one in whom all scripture rests. As we study Deuteronomy from our place in history, we have the unique opportunity to view it through the lens of Jesus, to view it through Jesus. As we look back at this old covenant, we will see how Jesus fulfills aspects of the law with the new covenant. But we will also be gaining knowledge of Jesus's person. And this is what I want us to understand. We're going to know, we will gain an ability to know him, the person, Jesus. We will understand him more fully as we look at this book. And this is why I said earlier that we never want to become unhitched from the Old Testament. Because Deuteronomy is the very book that shaped our Lord. It shaped him. The Old Testament, the law and the prophets, Deuteronomy were the very scriptures he loved. They were the very scriptures he learned. He had to learn them, guys. The eternal son of God, when he became flesh and made his dwelling among us, Philippians tell us he emptied himself. Now, he remained God. He did not empty himself of his deity. He has always been God. He will always be God. That never separated, but he humbled himself, and he emptied himself, and he became an infant. And he had to grow in the ways that we all had to grow. So he had to learn to walk, and he had to learn to talk, and he had to learn to read. Can you imagine this? And he had to learn the very word of God that he had inspired of old, just like we do. And it was these Old Testament scriptures that he studied, memorized, meditated on, clung to, held fast to, and loved with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. These were the scriptures that he obeyed. They were the scriptures he taught. And in fact, he quoted more from Deuteronomy than any other book except for Psalms. When we look at Jesus, we see what Deuteronomy looks like lived out in the flesh. So, as we head into our study, let us together behold the glory of our beloved Jesus as we study this year. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your goodness to us, the way that you have poured out your love and your blessing upon us, the way that you have um, given us your word. You've preserved this word for us all of these years. So we have it full and complete. You've revealed yourself to us in this book. And Lord, I ask that you would help us to behold wondrous things out of your law. I pray that you would be with the women as they go about um, and begin the study tomorrow. Lord, I ask that you would work in their hearts. Open all of our eyes. Help us to see you. Give us understanding. Help us to be teachable and humble. 
And I just pray that through this Bible study, we would grow to know you more, to love you more faithfully, to walk in obedience to you, that we would be changed. And I pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.